Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Hey, good morning. Welcome back. If you were here last night, I just want to uh, initiate a conversation this morning, as Pastor Sam said, and uh, an intimate conversation with a couple hundred people here, and then we'll have a panel right after this. And so, um, as Sam said, I'm, I'm probably the most junior in terms of experience church planner. Um, and, um, and so we'll have a panel up here with some a little more experienced guys and we'll answer some questions and things like that, but um, I just wanna preface what we're gonna be talking about this morning with this idea, because I know, you know, let me just be so bold and ask, because we just had all the church planters sort of raise their hand, and some of you are a lot more sheepish than others, but this is a bold question, but I'd like, I'm just curious who here has considered being a part of church planting. And maybe that's sending or going yourself. So go ahead, just raise, I wanna see it. I wanna raise hands. I'd like to just kinda get an idea. Um, I'm church planting now, and I'm still thinking about church planting. For the few, you can put your hands down, but you know, I, I'm, I'm praying about like what our church in Boston would look like to plant our own churches, and so I think it's healthy if we keep this conversation going, and, and so a lot of, I think, diversity out there in terms of experience level of those interested in church planting or, or considering being a part of church planting. So let me, if you would, you can turn over in your Bible or just look up on the screen. Acts chapter 13, uh, to me, sort of sets the, the tempo for what church planting ought to look like in terms of, of your role and participation in missions and church planting. And this passage really blew my mind uh, many years ago when it was presented to me and, and I was in Bible school at the time and, and just all eager and a little wet behind the ears and, and just very determined though I felt like God was calling me to some, some form of missions. And, but if you're like me and how I was, there was a lot of just curiosity, ignorance, just unknown. How do, how do I get from point A, which is a desire and willingness, a zeal, to go and fulfill Matthew 28, fulfill Acts chapter one, and then actually being there, being on the field, uh, endorsed on the field. And so this was presented to me, and so let me just throw this out as a preface. Our biblical model, the biblical model that you and I follow with church planting and missions involves you and I being sent by a long, unbroken line of those who also were sent. And that's really critical. I think some of us are just like, yeah, of course, but maybe not. Maybe you're here and you haven't considered that before. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to consider what Acts chapter 13 says in the first four verses Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod 
the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Lord or the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. And so, so practically speaking, that's my story too. That's any of the church planters here. I think they would probably tell you that it's their same story, that they were ministering in their local church. They're actively involved in their local church. And the church leadership saw fit to endorse them for a particular work. And they laid hands on them. And as the passage here that we've highlighted anyway concludes, that endorsement from God's eldership, from the pastors, the leaders in their church, was the effective endorsement of God's Holy Spirit sending them. And so they departed. And so I get this question from time to time. And when I go around, travel, and talk to people, sometimes the question, how did you know for sure? And sometimes the knowing comes in time. Sometimes you've got an idea and you believe God's heart is with you and for you to do a certain thing. And, but time plays out. And your pastors, your leaders, the people that have the charge over you, that, that God's given the care over, mistakes and all, warts and all, God's going to use them to send you. And God's going to use them to keep you put right where you're at sometimes. And so that's the story. And I just say that because I want to make sure it's clear before we get into our, our topic today, which is just a pretty practical topic, having God's heart for the work. I want to make sure we have that perspective that for you and I to consider those, probably the majority of this room raised their hand, if we're considering being a part of that, church planting ourselves, that we are on the right path to do so, that we are, are fitly joined unto the body of Christ, like Ephesians chapter four. We know that just having a right heart isn't the ticket then that just demands our entry onto the field. Just having zeal and passion for God's work, that's just not what gets us there automatically. We don't get to just run up the hill and entitled to Pastor Sam's office, to Troy's office, Randy's office, and the many pastors that are here, and, and just, I've got the heart, I've got the bug, send me, I, you know, and, and just demand to be sent out. I pray to God we wrestle with those things, but we need to make sure we're on that path. This protects the integrity of our mission, God's mission, it protects the order of our churches, and it protects you ultimately as God prepares you in time for what he will call you to do. See, God will use your pastors to know if you're ready and fit and for which field and for what purpose, regardless of where you are at in that process. And there's gotta be people just, with that many people in the room, I'm just envisioning that there has to be people out here within that group and those watching at home, I know we've got some folks back home watching and, and probably all over. There's gotta be people in, in that large swath of, of, of hands that went up that are probably right on the cusp, right there. I mean, you, maybe you're starting out, but maybe you're right on the cusp to be sent. And you ought to know that staying on that path, that's gonna give you confidence that once you are sent, when things don't go, go maybe exactly as you plan, you can look back on that. Like we talked about last night, you can look back on that resume of faith that you've built 
And at the very bottom, it's going to say, sent by my local church. And when you're, you're there and in the midst of it and you're doubting, man, was I really the right guy? Because this doesn't seem to be working how I thought or, or is this supposed to be how it works? I don't think this is how it looked before. You've got that line on your, on your spiritual resume and you can look back in faith and trust that you followed God's leading as God used your local church to send you out. That's a big thing. And so I just want to say that as a preface now let's, let's get into our conversation. Here, here's our main point for this morning. And I wanna talk about just having a heart for the work, having a heart for church planting and missions. Because to me, and this is in, in my very limited experience with this, and um, I say that, I mean, I, I was part of the, the initial church plant here. You know, I went out with the group and followed Pastor Sam and and we axed 16 this thing and stubbed our toes and bumped our heads and ran into each other and, and it was fun. And, and I was part of that for a lot of years before God sent me out and used that same church to go out to Boston, Massachusetts. But for me, just you know, in experiencing those things, and I think what God's told me to share this morning is this, that having God's heart for his work, for church planting, for missions, that is the most critical characteristic of a church planter. I think that's it. I think having God's heart, and, and yes, I do mean having a passion and, and having a zeal, but I also mean, and, and particularly that what we're gonna talk about to, this morning is having a heart for God's mission, having a heart for church planting in the context of the adversity that you will inevitably face as a church planter, as a missionary, as a pastor, as an evangelist, whatever God's called you to. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that's what we're, that's what we're called to do, right? We're going forward, we're going into these fields, we're plowing, we're planting seed, we're, we're picking up the rocks, we're cultivating the soil, we're shooing the birds out of the air, we're pulling the weeds. We're allowing God's word to cultivate that soil. Why? It's for life. It's because we wanna trust God to see life spring forth. To see those fresh green shoots come up where the gospel wasn't presented before in people's hearts. That's what, that's what we're doing it for. It's the issues of life, and so it's so critical that you and I keep our heart and that we're diligent about that. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. There's that word again. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. And then he puts that colon in there and sort of explains it like this path of how we can do this. And, it's just like last night, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. And so there's an aspect of keeping your heart that has to do with diligence and just that stick-to-itiveness, that perseverance of, of committing yourself to the work and just being so impassioned by it and understanding that that has to be at the forefront of all things. But our heart has to be God's heart as we do it. Just like we talked about last night, we can't 
put the work so far ahead of all things and, and do it just out of mechanics, just out of form, being formulaic, go around and we see different churches and this works here and this works here and, and we just take a survey of all the, the great things that work in the ministry. And I watched Pastor Sam for over a decade and I rub shoulders with other men in the ministry here and I go visit and I hear Pastor Trotter come through and, and Jeff come in and, and these men speak and influence us and okay, I think I figured it out now. I can write my own manual just tactically how to plant a church. But God doesn't want it just mechanically. He, he needs our heart to be there. And I think it's because once the, the rubber really meets the road, once you really get out, and, and once you're really trusting God to do his work through you, you're going to first face adversity. I mean, isn't that the biblical consistent story that we hear when God intends to move when God moves, he's always, his men are always faced with that, that, that enemy that wants to buffet us and prevent ground from being gained. And so this is so vital, this idea of having a heart for church planting, for having a heart for missions, for having a heart for the work that God gives you. It's so vital. And I don't care if you are the pastor, I don't care if you're the pastor's spouse, if you're a, a team member, and I don't see, say any of these in any diminishing capacity at all. I don't care if you're a, a member of the church, if you're, if you're part of the sending group from the home churches, and you need to make sure our heart is fixed. So before I, I get into this, I wanna be clear of, of something because as I introduce this, it's gonna, it's gonna sound like, man, church planning just sucks uh, from about what I'm about to get into. But uh, so let me just be clear and preface that with, uh, I think I said this last night, I would not trade what I'm doing for anything in the world. And uh, in fact, I, I traded a lot for, to do this because this is, I think this is God's heartbeat for us. God wants us to go forth and preach his word to those that don't have his word. And so what lot or little I traded, it's nothing compared to what I get to do every day. I mean, it's, it's so awesome, but it can be tough, okay? But let me just give you a, a brief survey though, this is just a couple tidbits, and we'll talk about some things throughout the next couple days too, but God does great things in missions and church planting. I mean, I remember some of the early stories we would talk about and some of the crazy stuff that would go, go on here at Midtown. And, and like I said, we'll get into some of that this morning and the next couple days. But, but in, in the context of that, it's so awesome because God at the same time is matching those moves by the enemy with even greater moves that you get to experience. I mean, just the great, there's nothing better, I think. Souls are being saved. Doors are being opened that you could not possibly have opened. I don't care what you did to prepare. I don't care what career track that you thought was gonna get you on the mission field. And praise the Lord if God's given you those things. But the Lord opens doors in ways that you couldn't have even imagined or planned. You know, our, our first converts, we, we went out to Boston, Massachusetts 
a town that is, I mean, literally overrun by college students. 260,000 college students in the area of Boston, Massachusetts from, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many countries are represented, some 65,000 at any given time, and just international students, let alone those groups that stay and, and, and attempt to make America their home, and it's an incredible mission field. And so we went out there, we're trusting God to reach students, and wouldn't you know it, like, and we're told, like, oh yeah, Boston, we're told by several people, several church planters, old seasoned dogs that told us not to, just don't come. Don't come to Boston, this is gonna, it'll destroy your family. Don't come to Boston, there are just not enough Christians to go around. Of course, you know, I was a Calvinist, but you know. <laughs> we were told that. We were told, don't, you know, you're never gonna be able to plant a local church of as far as you could tell, indigenous people, right? Local Bostonians. Students, that's where it's at, and, and have fun with that for a few, that'll burn you out too. And, and so we get there, and we're out evangelizing, our very first time evangelizing. It's summertime, like that's how, we're just ignorant about the flow of things. It's summertime, heat, hot, hot day in the summer. And lo and behold, like we're about to wrap it up, there are a few grad students in town, some people taking summer classes, and we're right in the middle of all the campuses. And who walks by but this 70-year-old lady with her daughter, who's my age, full, just grocery bags full from Target for which they'd walked a few blocks away, heading to their, their home. And those were our first converts. The 70-year-old lady had never heard the gospel before. In all her years in Boston, and she lived other places. And so God does great things. He really does. I mean, just unspeakable things. There's no way I would have planned that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and look for somebody who's of retirement age, who probably won't be able to help me a whole lot, reach college students and reach the nations. And that's what God had a plan. I mean, he opens doors. He wins souls. And so it's so great. Church planning is awesome. She's now 73 and in discipleship too. I mean, it's incredible, like what God does. I mean, real miracles of faith take place. The way we were provided our building, and I hope to be able to go into some of these stories in the next couple days, the, the, the difficulties of finding our first place to live selling a house here, going into a smaller house out there and then attempting to buy it after our lease is up and being like, it's like eight times the value that I sold my house here for. A smaller house, you know, it's like hard pass, right? And, but, so that, things can be a little challenging. You, know, you, you get out in the field and things aren't how you expect and, and so you're gonna face adversity as a missionary, as a church plant, planter, probably of a sort, especially as God is about to move that you've never experienced. And so I, I like to tell people sometimes, you know, for a church planter, especially if you're gonna be that tip of the spear, you know, part of the team, like you ought to leave your local church. You, you ought to be in that Acts 13 context, having been like punched in the face a couple times by the enemy. I mean, truly, like where you've experienced difficulty in your home context because you will undoubtedly 
be punched in the gut and the face and then probably chopped in the back when you're not looking on the field. Like there are things designed that the enemy has to trip you up. There are attacks that will come that you will have never experienced before. And so it's healthy. I think it's good for you, those of you considering, and this is not me, you know, being a sadist. I'm not telling you, like, you ought to go out and seek to be punched in the face after this. But, but if you haven't yet, if you've not truly experienced hardship, man, just maybe be circumspect about where you're at with what it looks like to go venture out and take new territory for God. You see, you're going to be attacked. There's going to be adversity of a sort that you're gifting you're spiritually gifting. You're God-given gifts. You're equipping in your local church that those things will not be able to overcome in a godly manner if your heart is not in the right place. Did you guys hear that? I don't care how much equipping you've had or how spiritually gifted you are, if your heart is not given to the right things, if, <clears throat> if your heart is not focused and where God is the center and where the passionate things to him are the passionate things to you, then look out. You might find a workaround. Your, your flesh might compel you because you don't want to fail in front of other people. The, the training you have might prepare you to succeed in an outward manner even. But just like Samson, just like Joab, just like Solomon, these greatly gifted men, it will be in the flesh and therefore just mere kindling before God's glory when it really matters most. And so you're gonna face adversity. You'll, you'll face rejection. I mean lots of rejection. You go into some of these areas that, that you, I know you're praying about and, and you're trusting the Lord to go where the gospel is a minority. You're, you're, we're talking about Israel. We went into a, a neighborhood when we first moved there, where 30% of the population of our town were Orthodox Jewish, right? I mean, living, having to live within a mile from their synagogue so that they could walk to meeting every week. A lot of rejection in that context. Just coming in, and what are you here for? Plant a church. A lot of rejection, loneliness, depression, I mean, unbelievable fatigue, this burnout, financial stress, I mean, moments where you're just not sure if you're going to make it, is it time to trust God to get a, another job, hurt feelings, Failure, disappointment, discouragement, heaviness, fear, feeling isolated, expectations that just go unmet, people that are not like you, different weather. <laughs> Living conditions. People are just in your face all the time and nobody cares. Constantly just hearing your neighbors yell and bark at each other and swear and sing endless loops of Green Day. Like, <laughs> I swear, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't, I, I'm, 
my neighbor's not listening to this, but if they get saved, they're going to maybe listen to this. But like about four times, I've just heard, he's got to be just like, you know, right there. Because it's just like Green Day on loop. Like, like 30, 40, just acapella. Like, what are you doing? Just trying to prepare my messages, you know, what? material loss just feeling personally inadequate doubt did I say failure already? I think I did I mean you just fail a lot there's so much failure just so many attempts to do things for and with the Lord and and just like a good father, like he sometimes he just lets us like fall down. He lets us see things that don't work. He lets us walk around our Jerichos and, and just see how big of an obstacle it is actually that we're facing. Feeling like we lack plans. My vision feels weak. Man, is my vision even right? Surprises showing up. Bitterness. Sorrow. I mean, every one of our team members, everyone, including myself, have experienced these things. These are not exceptional emotions. Just looking out at some of the missionaries, I, I know if you interviewed any of these guys, they would tell you the same thing. But here's the thing. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. the mission still goes forward. These are not excuses to stop God's work. These can't be excuses to knock us off the battlefield. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul said, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You see, there's still a work that needs to be done. There's still God's people who are growing and need cared for and need taught and need discipled. And there are new people coming in the door and there are people on your street corners and in your neighborhoods that need to go to Bible study that need to hear the gospel for the first time. See, the work has to keep going. Despite all those things that I just talked about, is there not a cause? Right? I mean, that's what, that's what we are asked I think what comes into conflict the most with this idea of having a heart for God's mission for church planning is that I think sometimes when, when the chips are down, when things get tough, we convince ourselves, at least initially, because we can't do this too long. Maybe you can fake it for a while. But in, in time, this just crumbles all around you. I think initially, I think sometimes without having a heart, we just think as long as other things are in place. And so I don't think I put this up there, because maybe I did. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay, I did. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I, I think sometimes, I think if we, if we have all these other things in place, and these are... These are brilliant, godly characteristics, by the way. If you read this list in 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, amen. Like any of these things is like, yeah, man, I, I wish I had that. But, but check this list. Let's read it through real quick. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I don't have God's love, I don't have God's heart for his work, I am become a sounding brass 
or a tinkling cymbal. And then he goes in through and he lists all these things, all these gifts and characteristics. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now we a lot of times look at this in context of our relationship with our brothers in Christ, in relationship with marriages. Anybody ever, you know, bring this out, you know, counseling a couple? I'm sure a lot of us have. And so, I'm, and I'm not taking away, there's a lot of doctrinal implications here. You see, charity never faileth. And this is important as you and I attempt to do great things under God's mighty hand. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now check this out. And now abideth faith, hope, just bedrocks of who we are, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so that's why I picked this topic. I think this is so critical for us to see this. And I'm going to wrap this up real quick. We've just got a minute or two left. You're going to face adversity. And point number two is this. While it's important and helpful, having God's heart for church planting is more critical. And I just picked a list of things that I've observed. And I, and I pulled this Firstly, out of that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, but having God's heart for his mission for church planting is more critical than you being a great communicator. Having God's heart for church planting is more critical than being gifted in ministry and in God's word even. Did you see that in that passage? Having God's heart for church planting is more critical than being faithful. It's more critical than you being giving. It's more critical than you being adventurous. It's more critical than you being entrepreneurial. Having God's heart for church planting is more critical than you being dead. Dead to yourself. If you don't have the life of God in you, then that's not going to help. Having God's heart for church planting is more critical than you having grit, than you having that warrior's mindset, 
And that, just like Paul said here, then you even having faith and hope, you've you got to have charity, you've got to have God's heart. You could add all sorts of things, zeal, diligence, tenacity, perseverance. God's heart is so key for us because as you and when you face adversity, you're either going to be taken out at the knees or you're going to trust God to keep pressing forward because nothing, nothing is more important than what is important to God. That's it. And yeah, I'm getting knocked around. I just got karate chopped in the neck. I'm not sure how to come back from that. I can't get my breath right now, but I'm, I've got to stay on the field because that's where God's at right now. Point three, having God's heart for church planting means that you value the things that he does over everything else. And what does he value? We probably know this, people, lost and saved, and his word. And the connection of those two things is what God wants. And what is your part in that? I mean, anything and everything will rise up to challenge your love for what God is trying to do in and through your life on the field. Will you prepare yourself? And when you get there, having done all the preparation for still not being prepared for what you're facing, will you be ready and determined to embrace and grab hold of God's heart even when you don't have it? And just beg God, I need your heart to keep me fast and fixed on what we're doing right now. Because it's not in me. Our fourth thing is this, and we'll close with this. A person fully given over to having God's heart for the work will overcome all adversity and do God's work. I did not say it'll all just work out well for you in a physical sense. I didn't say it's gonna look how you want it to look, but it will all work out well for you. You're gonna overcome all adversity and do God's work. Let me just leave you with this testimony of David, and then we'll turn it back over to Pastor Sam. Acts chapter 13 here, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. Now, David was a total screw-up. You guys know this, right? I mean, murderer, adulterer, had some, some compatriots that, that, I mean, Joab was like a total mess. That was like his main confidant, like his conciliar, Joab. Like, David, to him also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. Man, do we want that testimony? Don't we want that testimony? Like even when things go down, even when you, when you fail, when you fall, at the end of David's life, David's, I mean, God knew that this was gonna be it. This guy was gonna mess up royally, but he's got my heart for my work. He's my guy. And he did, he, he fulfilled the work for which God called him to. That's it. Man, thank you guys. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.